Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast Hungarian Grand Prix review. I am joined by Nigel Chu and Freddie Coates, who weren't watching the Grand Prix because they were at the London E-Prix. This might be the first Grand Prix that none of us, none of us have watched live in the history of Winging It, but probably isn't because I don't know Freddie and Nigel's viewing habits. But we shall introduce them and we shall discuss Ferrari, Verstappen, Mercedes, Lando, Alpine, everything that happened on Sunday at the Hungarian. How are you both? Very good. Um, I've recovered from my hangover of the Saturday Formula E um, and enjoyed watching the race on catch-up yesterday and thought it was a thoroughly absorbing Grand Prix. Crofty said that at one point. I said, yes, Crofty. That's a very good word to describe this Grand Prix, absorbing. So I'm now saying it a lot. I'm Nigel, can, Nigel, can you come up with a better adjective to describe the Grand Prix? Uh, it's coming home. Does that fit? It does. It was a, it, yeah. It, was, <laughs> it well, came home, guys. Let's go. <laughs> yes, England won the first Euro. of two this year. Sorry. Hey. Yeah, it was it was a great Sunday sport. I was at the uh, Commonwealth Games Rugby Sevens at the Coventry Arena, which was fantastic. I had an amazing time there, and it came home. I was watching it on my phone. Were you watching it live or following text updates or? Uh, I watched it on. Channel. Uh, the highlights at night. Yeah. I avoided the result and then watched it on record on Sky. So I watched it as live. I don't have a TV anymore, so that, that's why I couldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, well. Cost of living crisis and all that in action there, guys. Yeah. I'm bad wages, but yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Well, that's the winging it financial special over with. So we will move satire, on. guys. It's satire. Liz yes. Truss for prime minister. Woo! No, so I won't support Sat- that. I think it's satire, as is Ferrari strategy, or it would be if it wasn't so serious for a lot of people in Italy <laughs> and around the world. A lot of Scuderia fans. Leclerc really should have won the Hungarian Grand Prix. Ferrari had such an advantage over Verstappen going into Sunday, but yet again Verstappen won with a spin coming from 10th, and it wasn't even a challenge, really, in the end. Leclerc finished sixth in the end. So, yeah, how was you... Have we run out of superlatives to describe Ferrari's strategy? Not quite. <laughs> As I'm going to try over the next minute or so. Uh, Here we go. Uh, oh, well, maybe, maybe we have. I don't know what I've said. Well, last week I said it was embarrassing and unacceptable, and I said they had to get rid of everyone. Uh, which I stand by, obviously. And now I'm going to go as far as saying Matteo, Matteo Bonotto has to go as well. If it was football, the manager would, would have gone like probably a few races ago. Uh, so change absolutely everything. 2020, Ferrari've, right. got, Ferrari've got an inherent problem. I don't know. They've had it for five or six years now. You know, 10 years ago when Alonso was at the team, 2010 to 2013, they had one of the best operational teams. The, you know, Alonso's 2012 season was so good because Ferrari maximised nearly everything. Now they're doing the complete opposite and they cannot do the basics right. Like how It's their job and they cannot do it at all. It's their job. It's basics. They would do a better job if they were watching on TV and were two minutes behind the, behind the live race. Is absolutely atrocious. I think um, Nigel makes an excellent point from the fact that the fans are able to call a better strategy than the strategists. And that's, you know, obviously we're, we're all quite super fans and we're well involved in all this kind of thing. But 
the fact that we can very clearly see from race coverage, just from a timing tower, pretty much, that um, that's crude on the side of a screen, that the hard tyres haven't worked for the Alpines. Oh, they haven't worked for the Hasses. Oh, no, it's not working for Daniel Ricciardo either. Let's put it on the Ferrari, which we could win the race with. What the blooming heck is going on there? I mean, you, the medias are performing pretty nicely. Um, but you hamstrung... I, basically, they hamstrung themselves by starting on mediums, which is a decision which we can kind of let them yeah. off with. Um, it's a fairly normal decision. Um, but what you then look at that in comparison, Mercedes started on the softs. Um, Red Bull started on the softs. You look at the comparison of the fact that the main talking point about tyres for the weekend was that the hards are pretty bad in the hot temperatures. So in the really cold temperatures and slight drizzle of the race, or the hards, they'll definitely, they'll definitely work now. Oh, shock. No, they don't. Oh, my goodness. I'm so surprised. Just come on, guys. Just there's some very obvious things to see here. Even if you just want to read something that's been written on Bloomin' Autosport, like it will tell you sometimes pretty much the right answer. Chris Medlin does a strategy piece every week for the um for the for F1.com. Just go and read that. So much easier. Like than trying to be a Ferrari strategist, clearly. Like there you know what, Nigel, you just advocated for the um crucifixion of Matteo Bonotto. One thing in his favor is that this blame cult like a few years ago, like you look at 2014 Ferrari, they went through like three bosses that year. You look at like 90s Ferrari, every time someone was sacked, there they would just get worse and worse and worse. They've they've had a bit of stability at that team and it has enabled them to come back pretty quickly from a really bad performance of 2020 and some really like ingrained problems across 19 and 18 and around then. They've come back from that and you've got to give them credit for that. But operationally now, they need to come back to it. I think there's a reason Stefano Domenicali is the head of F1 now, but I think there's also a reason that Mattia Bonotto won't be the head of F1. Well, yes, obviously, yeah. <laughs> I'd be a bit scared if he was, to be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, they just weren't... They didn't even run the hards on Friday. Mercedes and Red Bull both took it off the table in the race. They just completely threw them out the window, figuratively. It's it just feels like it was obvious to the other front runners that you don't go near the ties, you don't touch the ties, other than throwing them out the window, window physic figuratively. Freddie, very big point on this. Rebel were going to start on the hards. Yeah, yes. they drove the hards on the reconnaissance laps. We're like, oh no, 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 no. Didn't reacted, changed, thought on the hoof, played a strategy in such a way that they were so aggressive with Verstappen that enabled them to just be like, oh look, Ferrari have done this. Bam, bam, bam. Oh look, we've beaten you. Oh, he's spun and we've beaten you. What? You're idiots. Mm. And like that should be a bit of a hint. Um, the decision to pit onto softs at the end, which consigned Leclerc to sixth place. What What do you think was that? I know they're pretty deep in the hole at that point. Do you think it made it deeper or do you not think it mattered? Yeah, Didn't change it. I mean, the wind was gone, obviously. You know, it Maybe gave him the fastest lap point. I mean, I think it probably actually was the right decision at that point. On like lap whatever it was, fifth, 60. Might beat Perez. <clears throat> mm. Yeah, that's a point. Perez was on a shocker. But I mean, it, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. What, every, what everyone's going to remember is they put on the stupid tyres. I nearly said something up, you know. <laughs> they put on the wrong tyres, even though we've had many races, or not many, we've had a few races this year 
well, the team was quite clear you don't put on the hard tyres. Like Bahrain, for example, the first race when there was like three pit stops then because they knew the hard tyres wouldn't work. So, you know, they've proven they can do it. Of course they can do it. That's why, that's why they got to the positions they can. But for some reason, every couple of weeks now, it just seems, oh, we're going to just not understand the basics of F1 that's been around for 72 years and just, mm-hmm. you know, do it. I don't know. It's like they want to lose or something. It's like... Oh, yeah, they it's, do. It's, mm. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so painful because just it's Ferrari. It's just kind of like... I think we're rare as fans in that we grew up during a period where Ferrari was so good, so slick and so sort of superior that I've kind of always had this kind of feeling that, that they are a great team. There's like a reason they're always up there and that kind of thing. But I don't know, for the past couple of years, it's always just been very much, well, no, Ferrari, That there's, there's just it's just Ferrari. It's just bad. It's that kind of thing. It's the way you would feel about like Sauber in 2016 or something ridiculous. Like that's not how anyone should feel about Ferrari. You should feel about Ferrari as a slick, top of the range, top team operation. We've just done a mini episode talking about Fernando Alonso and talking about how shrewd Aston Martin have been with their business dealing. And they're acting incredibly like a top team there and ferrari just you can look at look at this and kind of think well in every element of the organization you you can just don't have confidence now in ferrari that they just don't understand what what the game is well i mean you know looking at how both of their seasons has gone i think i'd still rather be ferrari but i think that's the annoying thing is that they've done so well they've used this regulations change and they've nailed it in terms of the car and they've put a race winning car championship fighting car together it feels like they've done 90 percent of it and it's just the race weekends now where they can't get anywhere near red bull and that's what's so frustrating is it's not that they're making these wrong calls when they're battling over seventh place against mclaren and aston it's the they're making you know they could be there could be a real championship fight this year and Ferrari could be in it and they're not and because it's all avoidable problems once you get to the race day. And the, the problem is, look, they wanted to go longer on the mediums. He said the tyres feel good, you know, let's stay on them. And then he, he gets told to pit. And when he gets told to pit, you you don't fully understand what's going on in the race. He had to cover off for staff and etc. So he had to pit. Now, in future races, if he's not already thinking this, if he wasn't already thinking this in, in Hungary, how on earth can he trust a team with strategy decisions in the second half of the race, or even just after they made, made the first pit stop? Like, it's got that bad. You know, he, obviously he has to trust them. And if I was a racing driver, I'd, you know, I'd still do what the team do because he can't really go against them in a you know dry, what should be standard race. It's just... Uh, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that... I've, I've got no. If it happens again, I'm actually gonna like. Oh, well, if it happens, who knows what I'll do if it, if it if it happens again in Spa or Monza or whatever. Well, remember to tune in for that episode. But yeah, I I just I don't. After after Silverstone, me and Freddie were saying, you know, he needs to be making some of these calls himself, or um, yeah, kind of making having an input in strategy. And he did in this race, and he had he you know, put his case forward and they just didn't listen and they still went with a stupid strategy and there they are. And I mean, I, I don't know. I think the championship's over now. I, I know it's still a long way to go, but they're just not performing like a championship team. Yeah, because I mean, in my opinion, Silverstone was a worse strategy call than this. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, 
as a mistake to make, this is seemingly a very obvious one. And it's a more crucial point in the season because of the mistakes for Silverstone to be required to not make this mistake, which kind of quantifies them equally then. And it's seemingly obvious. And that's the thing. It's like, I think that's the point, yeah, that, that you're saying there, Adam, is very, a very good one to make, is that, yeah, Leclerc is now taking things. He is now having a bit more of a drive with what he's saying. At least that's what we're seeing. Um, and, you know, he is so so close to boiling over in interviews you don't see this from Charles Leclerc like you don't see that and that it it's I think it beggars belief that we spent so much in this podcast at the top of it talking about cars that finished fourth and sixth with a poor strategy and not talking about a driver winning from 10th place on the grid and the and then the driver getting second from seventh on the grid and George Russell's debut pole position like we're talking about more Ferrari failures because well, because what they're nearly a hundred points off in the constructors now, and you look at where we were in Australia. I think, I think I titled that episode something like "Ferrari or Charles versus the World," because that's what it was at that point. It was such a such a nailed on definite fact in all of our minds that look at Ferrari, look at them. They're absolutely nailing it. They're they're finally getting their act together, and they're just playing it metronomically. Um, apart from a slight issue for science and qualifying, that's Australia for you. And, but since then, what's happened? They've, they've won Austria and they've broken down a lot. Lewis Hamilton's got more podiums this season than Charles Leclerc. It's, what? Come on. Yeah, it's like, it's like Monday night in football. In fact, it's even, it's even worse now because I find it hilarious what's going on at United, but that's a separate thing. This is even worse than laughable. I, I, I don't even know what the word is. It's... That's why we're not laughing. That's why both of me and you are in utter despair. Yeah. Can we move um, on before I, I punch I, my laptop? I, I saw the uh, the meme that's in a church and everyone's pointing a gun at the back of each other, but it was just Ferrari pointing the gun at the back of everyone, of the other Ferrari in front of them. It just summed it up perfectly. But yeah, Verstappen is 80 points ahead now in the championship. And even if he, even if Leclerc wins every race with the fastest lap point then he don't you know he'd have a margin of about 30 points which isn't going to happen i think rebel there's you know laps uh sorry circuits where rebel are going to be stronger but that's the point now where it literally needs ferrari to have a one-two with fastest lap point every race effectively for them to win so yeah it's uh just dire dire from ferrari but freddie's right we should be talking about the driver who won because it was max Verstappen from 10th on the grid, Nigel, how did he do it? Was it just the pace in the car and Ferrari screwing up, or where do you put kind of input Verstappen's um, performance into that? I think, yeah, I think, I think it was the pace of the car, and I think the right strategy, obviously. I think they needed mistakes from Ferrari, but for him to carve his way through the field how he did was sensational. I mean, I think he, he's, he's had these, this, I think it was. There's two other races which stand out in his career for me, and that is Austria 2019 when he made a mistake at the st- well, I don't know if it, yeah, I think it was his fault at the start when he didn't get mm. a pole, yeah, and then he came through to win. And Brazil 2016 when he hadn't made a mistake in the wet, but then he came through the field again. So, and he's done it again with this spin, he's spun, and he shouldn't win when you spin in, in F1, 
and he's come through and he's won easily. But all the hard work was done before that, and his outlaps on the second pit stop for the medium tyres when he was closing down Leclerc was absolutely sensational. That's the only can that's the only thing that only Verstappen could do. You know, maybe Hamilton, maybe Leclerc when he's on top top four, but Verstappen just seems to do it so often. And when he is in this, when he's got the car and when he is chasing, you know, it's just brilliant. And Hungary is a difficult track to to overtake on. Yes, the cars are easier. Uh, to follow and that kind of thing now, but you still got to get the job done. You got to choose the right lines, and you just got to drive really well, just like Hamilton did in Brazil last year when everyone was raving about that. We should be, you know, maybe we shouldn't be raving about it at such that quite level, but it was a very similar thing of just be having that skill which you can't really teach to read where a car's going in turn to. Are they going to go to the outside? Are they going to go to the inside? And just pick them off one by one. And then still manage the tyres to have pace in them when you got clean air and use your pace. So all that come together, yeah, a magnificent drive from Verstappen. Probably top five. I mean, he's had so many great performances. Top five drive for me in his F1 career, I think. Yeah, I was thinking just then about what I was going to say about this, and I was thinking kind of like because about where I was going to rank it. It's like, yeah, I would rank this also top five. I think, well, there were points when I was watching the race, when he overtook Leclerc for the lead, before he'd spun the lap or two before that, um, I was thinking, this has got to be just the most champion-worthy drive for Stappen's done. And the way he was, the way he was so delicate at the start and the way he kept his nose clean in such an impressive way, just spoke volumes about where Verstappen is compared to where he has been now as a driver and I was incredibly impressed with that I think I think I think you can say pace of the car I think you can also throw in pace of Verstappen into that um and the way like you say he he worked the strategy with the team in such a way um I think starting on the soft was an inspired call because it meant that he could clear cars that he could let go in the melee at the start um and also them all crashing into themselves a little bit around him helped as well um but then he cleared the alpines with ease and was then on very 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 good pace just for the rest of rest of the race and did um some just some lovely lovely work so i'm incredibly impressed with it this one of the few times a winner gets driver of the day so clearly a lot of people were impressed with it um and i think i think the last winner who spun was Max Verstappen in Hockenheim in 2019 um, when he spun at a similar kind of late in the lap, similar kind of spin. I, I just want to, it was a really weird well, spin, um, but it was a really well How does he always spun. get it pointed I, I, in the same I direction don't know. as well? That's what I was going to come in on. He did it as well at Imola last year behind, I think, the safety car. I think it was a safety oh, yes, car he restart. Did. Yes. He is the best spinner I've seen because he it was it was exactly the same thing. I mean, obviously that was where it was kind of different conditions, but in terms of you know where where he went off and then coming back on just completely in a straight line, like he didn't leave in the first place. It's you know, he he nailed it. And um yeah, I don't know how he does it, but he does that's all I can really add to it because I think you two have summed it up very well. Is there anything I, I else? Also, you... I also think it was key undercutting Hamilton uh, by the mm. Red Bull strategy team. That was key. Yeah. Like, as we saw at the end, Hamilton became a bit of a factor, but they didn't have Verstappen didn't have to overtake him on track. And I think if he did it, you know, Hamilton might have fought a bit harder. Maybe Verstappen would have, you know, done something sensational, we don't know. And then he undercut 
uh, sides, but Ferrari were going to put him on hard tyres anyway, so that didn't matter. But he still undercut him, uh, and, and thankfully Ferrari learned there. Yeah, because did he undercut Russell as well. Or did he overtake him? I can't remember. Um, he overtook Russell. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, it, yeah, it's just it, it. I think it's like we can easily wrap up this conversation on Verstappen because. The only things we can really say is, yeah, really good. Um, made one mistake that looked really kind of out of his control because of the way the car kind of went from the back. Um, and probably what the mistake he made over the weekend was locking up on his first Q3 run, yeah. which meant that he didn't have a good enough banker lap, I would say. I'd say that's that's probably um, not the best kind of um, kind of driving he's done in a qualifying recently at all, um, which I think did cost him a bit because of you've got to do a good banker because you don't know what's going to happen on your final lap, such as um, basically your car breaks down. Um, <laughs> and say, actually, you can say the same for Lewis Hamilton in that regard. Um, but he more than made up for it. So ignore me. Yeah, I think it, it's just, it's so annoying for Ferrari because this was, as much as we've lauded Verstappen's drive, it was also kind of a more, error-strewn weekend from Red Bull and Verstappen that there was a problem on Saturday and an error on Sunday that you just don't normally get. You'll get a few times, well, you know, one or two times a season maximum and Ferrari, you know, they've still won and Ferrari haven't capitalised on that. So, yeah, but moving on to the team who got a double podium who... Again? Yeah, again, it was Mercedes and are they the second best team in F1 now, right now? Not in terms of pace, but no. in terms but of, in terms of overall yeah. operation, they're phenomenal all around. Mm. All, oh, it's, it's a hard one to rank. I think we're saying an all around team, and that kind of means that then we have to take into account their performance, which is um, granted a pole position worthy car, but I think that was because of a, um, just sort of a, a very, very brilliant lap from George Russell rather than um. The pace of the car they have very good pace in the race if we're talking all-round team yeah they're very good but are you mm, i don't know i'm ranking them same as rebel as a team rebel a bit higher because they've got more underlying pace basically um but that's that's doesn't mean anything when they've got double podium with um consistent pace and really i think really we can say the first time we can kind of maybe say a sixth car kind of fight at the front i mean perez was involved for the first stints of the race and stuff like that before he kind of dropped back um but Merck were able to mix it and it's been coming for some time. Nigel and I have been discussing it quite a lot that we think Merck are pretty good and like it's not just a flashing the pan performance well at some tracks. It is genuinely underlying pace in that car is on the up. They're figuring it out. They've they figured it out, really. You could say they're on top of it. And I think expect better things to come from this team. That change of direction is really good, isn't it, Adam? Uh, but no, I think, I think Hamilton, I think Hamilton, if he's Hamilton started higher up the grid, first two rows, I think he could have won. I mean, he lost a lot of time in the early parts of the race. Uh, yeah. And I think he'll kind of, might be, ah, you know, that's one where I could have won because Verstappen was a starting 10th and then, you know, Ferrari making their mistakes. Uh, but it was still a great, you know, just look, looking at Sunday, another great drive from Hamilton as he's as it's been since Canada. Uh, so yeah, and I, I was slightly disappointed with his race pace because it wasn't. I, I don't know if he set the car up differently to you know have a bit more one lap pace, perhaps because Hungary is tougher to overtake at. Uh, but you know he fought really hard against the club. That 
four or five lap battle that he had with Leclerc from lap, what was it? So just just before the first pit stop, I think, or I can't remember. Was my it was around lap 30. Yeah, something like something like that. But yeah, that four or five lap battle with Leclerc was brilliant to hold him off for, for as long as he did. So, yeah, I think with everything, Mercedes perhaps should have won if they really maximised Saturday and Sunday together. They can't be too disappointed because, you know, Verstappen, I think Red Bull, you know, they did have the faster car on Sunday. Mm. Uh, they'll just be a bit disappointed they couldn't hold it back, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's I think it's the best side Merck could have that they get a double podium and there's that disappointment talk that they could have been there. And yeah, I think I, I think you put it perfectly. I do think if Hamilton had maximised both his days, then he could have, you know, been been there and got the win. But... Um, still very positive signs. I don't know how they'll go at um, Spa and Monza. I think that might be a bit of a step back, but um, you never know. Zanvoort could be one that they do a bit better at. So, yeah, I think it kind of... I maybe don't expect them to be at this level next time out, but, yeah, I think it's overall really positive signs and they're just... They've kind of got their philosophy on and now they're just adding to it. I'm not even going to really think about because I, I think yeah I've been guilty of thinking all oh, this track might suit them. I think I'm just going to think they're just going to be a few a few tenths off pole now for the rest of it. I think if they're if they're not, then I think that's arguably um, a step back from Mercedes now, in my opinion. I still think the straight line speed is a weakness still. Mm. I think that's why I expected them to do well at Budapest, like Monza. They should be really tough, but you know every team is going to bring a huge upgrade to Spa. That could change things as yes. well. So, and know. Honda, well, Red Bull powertrains aren't gonna are gonna aren't gonna be able to because the plan was for them to bring their uh, upgraded X yeah. spec engine as their third engine to use in Spa. Now they've had to change to Pool Three um, for this race in Hungary. Just just at the last moment means they're gonna have to take a penalty for that, which means they might um, be in an interesting position in Spa or Monza um, as a team if they might do that. Um, early prediction from me for those races because there was something like 10 laps off failing with the Sappens car. That's the kind of stat that's been thrown around by someone. Um, can't attribute it, sorry. Um, but it's that would have been very interesting if if Verstappen had an engine failure and Ferrari still didn't finish on the podium or something. Oh, Ferrari. Um, is there anything you want to say on Perez, either of you? Yes. It, it's, it does feel very kind of obvious that the more this car moves towards Verstappen, the more it moves away from Perez. And that's a problem that Rebel don't seem to be wanting to really rectify, but probably needs to kind of think about a little bit if they've got this driver till 2024. You can't really have him in sixth, 20 seconds off the pace at the end of the race, really. That's, I think, I think really there needs to be kind of a, a bit more compromise to it. Because Verstappen was able to win pretty comfortably in a car that did also suit Perez a bit. Like you want the one, he started eleven. That was bad, yeah. But Verstappen like started ten. He was unlucky with that because like his lap got deleted, and then he got knocked out. But then it was reinstated in Q3 when he was already out or something like that. So I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. Um, but I just I do kind of still think you know Verstappen's one from tenth. Like you're, yeah. you're the pace in the car is inherently very good, and you're not on a you're not on a bonkers strategy, mate. So I'm thinking that there are elements of it where Perez needs to kind of slightly figure it out. But also I think Rebel need to be kind of catering a little bit more to Perez basically as well. 
two-way side of the coin because that's how coins exist. Yeah, it it's it kind of feels it just kind of doesn't feel like you really because Ferrari is screwing up so badly and Rebel is still significantly ahead of Mercedes. It's kind of like he's not he's not as crucial and maybe that's kind of you know masking some of the um you know him not being on the pace. Um but yeah, it's obviously not ideal for them, but I think as as long as Verstappen's winning by the margin that he did after Zico's easy face today, then they're not going to be complaining too much. Yeah. Um, on to yeah. Lando Norris, who finished seventh, best of the rest, and had a really, really quiet race, I think. It's like there was so much going on at the front that I don't really remember too much of Norris's race, but it felt like he just got on with it. I don't remember him ever being in a fight with the Alpines. Yeah, he just... Because they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't fight him. Yeah, um, he was just... He was just there. He was not. He 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 was benefiting from his very 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 excellent qualifying, um, as always. Which yeah, which meant he was um, able to be a little bit of a roadblock up front for a bit, which was kind of good for him. Um, before he was dispatched, and then was able to settle into his very nice little rhythm because of the Alpine strategy. To be honest, because I think the Alpines on the mediums had frightful pace, and I think McLaren were worried about that. So I think I think Alpine. Um, kind of let him let him go there because he would have probably have been in a fight with the Alpines in my opinion based on the way that race was playing out until yeah. it played out the way it did yeah I think probably one of Norris's best weekends of the season so far just put everything together got the result that he deserved in the end not much more to say and you know sometimes the quieter races are the best kind of races when you're you know when you're either in P1 or at the front of the front of the midfield, so totally. Yeah, not much more to mm. say. Yeah. Well, if if that is the case, then it wasn't a totally perfect weekend then for Alpine, who had a bit of drama when Ocon was fighting Alonso and then allowed Ricardo through. It didn't have much impact on the end, but I think it's the worst thing to happen to Alpine in the last few days. But they did come back to finish eighth and ninth. Um, yeah, it's a word on their race, ready. Um, lucky to get points. I'd, I don't understand why Ockham was fighting so hard. It did seem very strange because, from what we are aware of in terms of the, the, the decision for Alonso to leave the team, the team and Ockham didn't know yet. I was kind of thinking, oh, did the team tell Ockham to, you know, act, act like yeah. a maniac because Alonso was leaving? But Defend like a lion. Yeah, so because I, it certainly helped him as well. Alonso helped him to win his first ever race last year. Yeah, comes doing that, put yeah. him in the pit wall basically in the start. <laughs> he fights him like an absolute maniac. So, yeah, I'm not sure what he was thinking. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the rest of the season, season as well. But uh, it's weird we didn't hear too much any team radio after that initial Alonso one when he was complaining on that one. Never in his I thought life. we'd hear. I thought we'd hear something from the Alpine team about you know stop fighting or you know let Alonso through or, or something like that, but. We didn't get again of that. So it felt like they, they didn't really need to after that because I think that kind of flashpoint did kind of just sort of resolve itself a bit yeah. until Ricardo popped through. I think when that kind of happens, a team doesn't need to say to you, "Look what you've done." You kind of you kind of can see yourself. Ah, oh, no, I've I've over defended here and got over involved, and now our main rival, the person they've all said to me in all the team briefings, just don't let McLaren get past you, has got past both of yeah. us. That's not great. Um, you don't need the team to tell you to look after yourself a bit more after that. Luckily, Daniel Ricciardo um, was put on the hards and then um, <laughs> T-boned Lance Stroll. So that dealt with that McLaren. Um, but anyway, 
Ricardo yeah. wasn't that bad this weekend, I thought. Because I think no, right. he was hamstring by strategy. I agree. If he wasn't put on hard, I think he would have you would have been right up there with just behind Norris. So yeah, I think he had a pretty good weekend, which is you know good for him going into the summer break. And yeah, yeah. that McLaren Alpine fight is gonna get very interesting with Alonso leaving. Maybe he'll help McLaren. No, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that's so Fernando Alonso, isn't it? It's just like he'll do that thing where he's like, Oh, Alonso's just gone fastest in sector two. Oh no, he's straight lined the corner again, like he did in his last race in 2018, where he just decided to drive straight and then kept getting five second penalties. And if he does that, and you're like, Oh, he's overtaking both the McLarens. Oh no, he's been penalized. Oh, he's overtaken, but he's been penalized. I can just see that happening and just it being an absolute cartoon, like desperate Fernando or whatever it is, like, like a comic strip. Oh, Alonso. Um, yeah, Ricardo. Yeah, it was it was average for him. It was one of his better, but when you're finish, finishing fifteenth and it's one of your better races in the season, that kind of says it. All he's he said he wanted to meet up with friends and drink beers over the summer break. So hopefully that resets his mind. But if it was a bit like crunch time for Daniel Ricardo, so we shall see what happens with that. And Sebastian Vettel finishing ahead of Lance Stroll for the final point on the weekend where he announced his retirement. Freddie, you're looking ready to jump in. Yeah, I was impressed with the way Vettel kind of just went about his race quite methodically um i think he had a he had a poor um he had a very poor saturday obviously crashing in fp3 which meant that he was scrambling for qualifying which obviously meant he didn't get a good lap in which is on him but the way they kind of worked on that they understood how the car was going to work for the race and you know he methodically went through it as did lance stroll to be fair pretty well as well lance got a very good start and was able to sort of hold up there but vettel just had a bit better race pace and was able to kind of work on that and get the 10th place and I was very you know I think that's kind of all Aston Martin can do I think there wasn't really more pace in the car for them to find than scrapping for 10th and 11th which is actually really kind of all right yeah it does seem that qualified with that one lap pace is a big weakness now because it has been a trend it wasn't just a one-off or two-off thing uh, but then on Sundays, you can turn it on, whether that's just because they can manage the tyres better or something which means in qualifying they can't get them into the right window quickly enough, perhaps. So it could just be a characteristic of the car that, car that they've got. And yeah, they didn't put on the hard tyres tires in, in the race, which was key because a lot of other people around them did. And that's probably why Vettel got the point and Stroll was 11th. Well, there you go. It's amazing what competence strategy calls can do. Is there anyone else you want to talk about from the race? Again, it was one where most of the eyeballs were at the front, but is there anyone else you want to touch on? Yuki Sonoda didn't have a very good weekend. Um, he outqualified Gasly, of course, with the Alpha Tauri is another one with poor qualifying pace. But normally they can kind of do a similar thing to Aston Martin in the race. But Sonoda was the only driver to be lapped twice. He um, spun. He had no pace. He couldn't really get anything going. Couldn't find any balance or any control in the car. And it just didn't really work out for him, which is not the race you want before the summer break, particularly when Gasly's obviously been well and truly confirmed for next year and Sonoda hasn't been. I think I wouldn't be surprised if come sort of Suzuka and we haven't had an announcement for Sonoda that, that the, a few kind of discussions and rumours start flying around for that seat. Mm, I think there's maybe more to be discussed there, maybe in a similar episode, but I think it's kind of flown mm. under the radar how poor Alpha Tauri have been. They've not scored a point since Baku and yeah, it's there's been other teams doing worse around them 
that's kind of masked that, but it's really, yeah, it's not been great for Avatari. So hopefully they can turn that around for the second half. And I think, of the season, I think but... a performance like this would give them an opportunity to scapegoat Sonoda. Because actually, let's be honest, for the most part of the season, for a lot of it, you can make a case for him being the better Avatari driver for it. Yeah. Um, and that's really good. But I just, I just don't think they manage their drivers in that way. And I can see like a performance like this just being like a, well, look at that poor performance as a, as a precipice by Sonoda. I can, I can see that kind of weird political thing happening there. Yeah, you're right. It's really not the performance you want to be going into summer break on. But yeah, lots lots to kind of monitor there, I think. And especially that triple header. There's a few teams that, or a few drivers, that it's going to be quite a big triple header for coming off the summer break. So we shall see. But I think that is everything we have to discuss from the Hungarian Grand Prix. I'd like to overall. I thought it was, as you said, absorbing, engaging absorbing. race. Yes, absorbent Grand Prix. And we shall be back. We Hopefully, um, you can find our Alonso to Aston Martin discussion emergency podcast. So I recommend giving that a listen and let us know what you think. But yeah, we'll see what we do over the summer break. But until our next podcast, then thank you, much for, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.